This is Pop Tech Nation. The weekly show where we talk about the most interesting stories taking place in the publishing and technology world. This is the week of July 27, 2015. I'm your host, Shovik Paul, and my co-host, Mike Rom. How's it going, Mike? It's going great, Shov. Before we get started, how was your weekend? <laughs> the weekend was great, um, and I don't know if you've noticed anything new about me. I have a shiny new toy on my wrist. Amazing. Looks yeah. great. <laughs> if you're wondering what we're talking about, it's not a bracelet that I bought for myself. It's actually an Apple Watch, um, and show has been you know, giving me a jazz because I was kind of talking down the Apple Watch for a couple of months, wasn't sure if I would like it too much, um, but I caved and I bought it. So, so what made you cave? Was it just... Like, look, you're in technology. Is it peer pressure? Is it all the news you've been reading about, you know, Apple selling millions of these watches? Is Like, what is it? You know, for me, almost every review that I read was something to the gist of it's not necessary. You know, you don't need it. But if you're a geeky guy or you're really into this stuff and you're sort of a power user, you'll probably enjoy it, though you won't find it a necessity. And uh, for better or for worse, I totally fit that mold of a techie sort of nerdy dude who loves his, his tech and loves his iPhone. And uh, I am enjoying it thus far. That's awesome. So, I, I mean, you know, it's funny because one of the big headlines this week, Mike, was uh, – and this was in the Mashables. There's a company called Risley. That's an independent research company that's actually devoted to Apple Watch insights. It's funny how like it's it's there's now a whole industry around just analytics, right? Every time there's some emerging technology, they they it leads to other businesses popping mm-hmm. up. So this company purely uh, focuses on uh, Apple-based uh, analytics, and they stated that 97% of Apple Watch owners. Uh, said that they were really satisfied with their watch, right? And and, and basically, I, and I looked into it, right, you Mike? Think that it, number, I mean, ninety-seven percent. It sounds kind of sensational. I don't know. I know well, people that aren't satisfied. Well, I looked at that. Mm-hmm. Being being a guy, by the way, who who bought this watch the second I was one of those guys who woke up at three in the morning and ordered the watch, right? I also was like, and I've had I, I, even on the show, I've expressed sort of the pros and cons of my usage with the watch. And so I, I just like you, I was like, that's crazy, 97%. couple things to note about this. Uh, it basically surveyed about 800 Apple Watch users, right? And, <laughs> and, and so it's not a huge pool. And they all worked at the Apple store. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Apple yeah. employees. Okay. You know? Okay. <laughs> right? and, and look, you have to keep in mind, these most people that have a watch at this point are fairly early adapters, right? And, and you know, you also, look, I mean, here's what I was thinking about. An average watch, what Mike starts at like three fifty. The gold ones go up to like ten thousand a piece. Mm-hmm. You know, some of it's like, well, if you ask someone that spend that kind of money, what would anybody say? I, you know, of course, I made a bad decision here. You know what I mean? Or, or would right. they say, yeah, 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 like this was a good decision? I, I, I read a review that actually said something to the to the extent of, I'm loving the Apple Watch, but I'm finding it hard to recommend. And I sort of fall in that category because I, I am that kind of guy. Like the voice dictation is really awesome. I am the kind of guy. I'm like not bashful. I'll totally just dictate a voice message. Not if I'm sitting in like a you know uh, quiet coffee shop, but if I'm on the on the street, getting notifications, being able to interact with them, doing you know Apple Pay because I'm still I still have my iPhone 5s. I'm I'm definitely enjoying it. I could see. Are, it. are you reading any new stuff on your watch yet? Not that 
much. I would say that I think you mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. There are certain like news apps. I think HuffPo, um, where like they'll shoot you out stories, and if you want to save it for later, you could tap a button, which I think is kind of cool. I think they're now all starting to do some variations. It's like a handoff type. Of yeah, 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 exactly. It's like a handoff function. Definitely. And I think the, the other thing to mention real quick because I think we we spoke about it last week, where there was a tons of scrutiny around Apple Watch not selling well. It looks like Apple uh, did just fine with their earnings. Yeah, so their earnings came out, right? Mm-hmm. And and mm-hmm. Apple had already said they're not going to specifically state how many Apple Watches they've sold. Mm-hmm. However, that falls under their other category. Yeah. And their other category, that uh, essentially the revenue went up by a billion dollars from last quarter. Right, you can right? like back into the So, number. So, yeah, essentially what they were saying is about a billion dollars worth um, uh, on the other category can be allocated towards the watch, which is all to say, obviously, there's a trend here. It, it, it wasn't a bust by any means, mm-hmm. right? Um, and the question, obviously, is should publishers be now thinking about, just like they did five years ago where where the iPad first came out, should they now start thinking about the Apple Watch as another medium to publish their content on? My my, my you know final thought on it for the for for at this point in time would be if you're a publisher or honestly if you're just a consumer that like is thinking about buying it, you really need to wait till iOS nine because they're doing the whole second version of the mm-hmm. watch operating system, which Apple pundits are saying is really gonna you know strengthen the value of having the watch. So if you're thinking about buying one, you might want to just wait a month or two to see if people are like freaking out in a good way about the new um, operating system. And if you're a publisher, and, and, and Mike, just to explain that for the listeners, yeah. what what what's what's what you're basically describing here is right now with the watch, it's just extension. So there's no native apps on the watch, right? So so the functionality is somewhat limited. Whereas with the next dev kit, it allows uh, with the watch update, it allows. Uh, publishers of these apps to create native versions specifically for the watch. Yep, and it's apparently supposed to improve battery life, supposed to improve performance, speed. Uh, you could probably do more as an app developer, you know, within the Apple Watch context. So, so going back to you know, should people have uh, or be st- start to think about uh, this as yet another medium that you know, in terms of publishers uh, putting their content onto this medium, you know, in my opinion. It's 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 like anything else where if if people are now getting onto this medium, you have to a start thinking about it. B, I think there's a first mover advantage if you're one of the few publishing companies that now offers a watch solution. If for example, you just went and bought a watch as a consumer, mm-hmm. if you can only pick from five publication apps, you'll pick them, right? Yep. A higher chance of you downloading that app and putting it on just to see what it, what it feels like. It's like the early days of apps on iPhones, right? If you're one of the few apps, everyone had your brand and then you know you could build on that brand being on that person's wrist for the rest of the time, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, it's, and it's sort of it's something we're going to talk about actually later in the show, but you can even as a publisher thinking about creating a app that is going be a little different than your normal iPhone or iPad app, you know, almost like unbundling a certain feature if mm-hmm. you if there's a market there. So you're right. I mean, while there's only like 4,000 Apple Watch extensions or apps in the store right now, you do have a sort of uh, advantage being a first mover. Yeah. So we'll keep our eye yeah, on Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll definitely keep uh, our eye on this because I, I have a feeling we're going to be talking a lot about wearables Absolutely. in general in the upcoming weeks. A, a quick headline from TechCrunch who reported from 
uh, on behalf of Flipboard, it seems like we're talking about Flipboard every week, which is just they've done they've done a good job at staying really relevant in the news. Um, the well, re- they're also getting worried about Apple News, right? Yeah, coming out with iOS nine. I feel like there's a lot of like news, you know. Definitely, the big news with them this past week was that uh, they're raising a Series D. So another fifty five zero million dollars in investment. Uh, you know, the, the takeaway to me is that. They're now estimated to be around like a $1.5 billion valuation, which is like really, really high. I made my prediction last week that uh, – and it wasn't risque because a lot of people have been saying that Twitter is going to be looking at Flipboard for potential acquisition purposes. I mean Twitter's market cap is like $22 billion, You know, Flipboard's at almost $1.5 billion. Like, I don't know if they have enough cash on hand to even make that type of acquisition. Right. So um, – yeah, I mean, it looks like their valuation. I mean, if you're a owner or a co-founder or stock shareholder of Flipboard, you got to be happy about that. But it might limit their uh, potential acquirers. I mean, look at this stage. I, you know, look, there's always going to be a hand, just a handful of companies anyway, right? So it's more about further taking that money to strengthen your position. Uh, obviously, if you just raise a Series D, those guys are all hoping for what at least a like three to ten x. Mm-hmm. you know, um, turn on when they get acquired or go public or whatever else. So I, I, I think that like, you're right. The, the total number of people that can potentially acquire them gets, gets smaller, but Starting uh, to shrink, they, yeah. they sort of have to, I think also with, you know, going back to Apple with Apple news coming out, they don't have a choice right now, but to sort of put their best foot forward and say, no, it doesn't matter that hey, – look, we're seeing it with Spotify. We're seeing – you know, with, with Apple Music making a huge push, Spotify is also now – Right, the, the incumbent know. sort of reacting. Yeah, the, the reacting products. to it, you know. You're, you're, you're a Flipboard user, right, Mike? Yep. yep, definitely. If anyone who listens to the show knows that I'm just sort of all over the place with my app usage, but definitely Flipboard, especially on iPad, which I always say is a really great experience. That's great. Yeah. So I want to talk about, Mike, this story with Gawker. And, and, and Gawker is interesting, I, th- I think – you know, being in tech, you, you here's a brand that sort of you know grew out uh, of the tech world and their founders, etc. And there was something that happened, which I think is is not straight, just like a tech talk as we normally do mm-hmm. on, on this podcast. It's a very interesting topic where uh, I, it was about last week where Gawker published this article saying. There was a sea uh, level or an executive at Condé Nast, uh, and I'm not going to name the person on this show because I mean that's what the controversy is about. And they said this person was a married individual and uh, basically decided to hire a male prostitute, and uh, th- they broke the story. And it was look, I saw it when it first came out, and I thought it was extremely random mm-hmm. and and. You know, I don't have very high expectations of Gawker to begin with. There's a lot of trash on there. But this, for some reason, quite frankly, rubbed me very much the wrong way, right? It's like here's a private citizen, right, is executive at some company, and essentially they're outing this individual. What happened post that was um, Nick Denton, he's the CEO or I think he's the founder of Gawker, came on and said, I'm going to remove – uh, this article, yeah, I saw, and it. then and then uh, basically a week later or something like that, or a few days later, uh, the the uh, executive editor of Gawker Media, Tommy uh, Craggs, as well as uh, Max Reed, I think he's the editor in chief. They both resigned, saying, "Well, you know, this uh, obviously 
takes away from journalism and journalistic integrity. Can, can, I, can I ask a stupid question? Yeah. Um, and at the risk of me sounding uh, sort of insensitive here, but isn't this like what the internet is built on? Like outing people, risque stories, uh, you know, isn't that the cover of so many of those like tabloid magazines at supermarkets about this person being yes, gay but, or this person? Yes, but, be, but you're, these are typically, typically they revolve around people in, again, celebrity type positions, right? To me, Mike, what a executive of a company is doing, that, that's not really a person who's like a celebrity. You know what I mean? But is being a celebrity just opening the door to your your life to get scrutinized and ridiculed? Like I, I think no, no, I'm I'm, I'm not of, saying that makes it you're saying better or worse. What we're used I, I, to I'm seeing. saying I'm saying this is what makes that, it different. That was sort of yeah. This is what makes it so I, I, I different. Get what you're like you know, I know Joe Schmo in accounting, and, and and it's like saying, well, Joe Schmo in accounting went out last night. And I'm gonna like publish what I saw him doing in you know. Look, Gawker has a hundred million unique visitors, right? So, or, you know, you're outing someone to the entire world. They and I think it rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. There was a lot of comments and this and that. With 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 a lot of people spoke up against it, saying this is the lowest we've seen people in media go. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, and I guess my big question is, and as you were correctly pointing out, you know. With the internet now sort of heading in this direction of there's so many brands, they're all vying for those eyeballs. Every second counts. Their advertising revenues are going down. It's all like, you know, CPC-based, you know, cost per click. Their CPMs are going down, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Now, is is it, you know, all getting to this point where what do I need to – how do I shock people to get those eyeballs onto my site? I mean sometimes, you know, I'll be honest. I, I go to some major, major news outlets where I'm used to seeing – I mean look, let's face it. Even when I go to CNN, half the headlines I see on there mm -hmm. are just clickbaity, you know, junk. I, I don't see like real news anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean it's it's – it's been a problem for a long time. Just not not offering. It's basically fluff. Um, I think, uh, but this kind of hit closer to home because it's not something that you usually see. Is going after just like some executive of a media company. Yeah, it almost felt like a little closer to home. Like if <laughs> if like he's on display, can't, are we all on display? Yeah, 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 yeah. Ex exactly. It was definitely exactly. interesting, and I don't think there's really a right or wrong. It's going to be one of those topics that's continuously debated. Um, something else that is also continuously debated is comments on websites. So well, I mean, speaking of comments, right? I mean, people were killing this article on Gawker. They were going insane. They were going insane. The, the comment section was basically infinite. Yeah. Um, and it brings us to our next topic, which is Talking New Media, who published an, uh, an article. The basic gist was that their studies have shown that people who comment on articles are not the loyal readers. They're the people that are there, you know, maybe they stumbled in through a tweet, they throw out their comment, and uh, they sort of bounce from the site. So, I mean, why is this relevant? I know there's a lot of, uh, if you're a manager of a website or if you're a publisher, I mean, do you allow comments? Do you moderate the comments? Do you not allow comments? There's there's a lot of I think uh, talk and dispute around what the, you know user generated content should be at the bottom of a post for reasons that spawn across editorial and advertising contexts. So um, I, I think it's kind of an interesting study well, well, though, right? I, I, th I think people. Oh, great study, great, 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 great discussion in general, right? To be having because the idea with comments, especially uh, you know when when brands started putting these uh 
these articles for free on their websites, right? Was let's allow people to comment because if you're commenting, you get to A, express yourself, share your thoughts. People then not only maybe the article is three paragraphs long and takes me, you know, 20 seconds to read, but then suddenly I'm spending a lot more time on the page and on the brand because I'm spending all this time reading the comments. True. Then that also led to trolls, right? The emergence of this like, you know, people just constantly trolling, and it's just become a thing. Hate now, speech, right? you know, hate speech, uh, which is a problem, of course, spam, for, 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 right? for advertisers. Yeah, advertisers that are running on the site, oh, they don't want anything. It's a, with, ni- it's yeah. a nightmare, Mike. Mm-hmm. Right, and and then like, there's also spam. I think I think brands have gotten better about like you know uh, filtering out the spam and stuff like that. But the question is, at at this point, and Mike, I, I've also now been reading more and more about a lot of publishers stopping the comment section. In other words, they're saying we we won't have a comment section, mm-hmm. right? Because it's not worth, you know, having some, again, some maybe like racist come onto the website. Yeah. Has not, And I see this a lot, especially with like people pushing political agendas. I'll be reading something about, you know, some new spoon and a fork, mish, you know, moshed together to make some mm-hmm. sort of new product. And it's like, this is all Obama's fault or this yeah. is all, you know, like, and, and you're going, what, wait, what does this have to do with it, the article I'm reading? You it, know, it, it, isn't Twitter the universal comment section? <laughs> you know, social <laughs> right. media, they're getting all the love. Right. They're getting all the traffic. Why not? Right. Ha, why not? Keep the trolls and the hate speech on Twitter and Facebook. Not, I'm not, you know, endorsing uh, that type of behavior on the Internet, but I think it actually might make sense to for some of these publishers to actually disable the comment sections. I mean, I'm sort of more in favor of like polling and, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. offering little surveys. That's also a good way. Sometimes you need to log in to, to, you know, voice your opinion on a poll or a survey when you right. say like, do you agree with this author or not? It's right. a good way to get someone to like log in and maybe share data. So there, it might, we might be at a point where it makes more sense to create some sort of fun little engagement at the end of an right. article that right. isn't just, Hey, brain dump on our page and, and you know, kind of right. maybe sacrifice the quality of our, our brand. Yeah. And, and I've also seen, I mean, going back to logging in, and I've seen a lot of brands that say you have to maybe uh, use Facebook Connect or something else where you can't be anonymous, in other words. Smart. To, to, to comment, right? And I feel like, yeah, once you're no longer anonymous, you're not writing nonsense, right? Really and, and and so, you know, again, I, I feel like this is something that all publishers really should be thinking about because it can really diminish your brand, you know, by, by allowing uh, – Allowing this, another you know, and this is probably one of one of our biggest headlines coming from this week, and I'm sure by now a lot of our listeners have already heard of this. Uh, this week, after 60 years of building and owning Financial Times, Pearson sold uh, sold Financial Times to uh, Nikkei, uh, which is Japan's um, largest financial media group. And and days later, by the way, this is interesting, Mike. So days later, Pearson, and this is a few days back, Pearson announced plans to also sell The Economist. And according to Bloomberg News, The Economist deal would be worth about $620 million. So here you have Pearson, who has always been heavy on education as well as, you know, like financial media news, right? And you've got these two huge brands, Financial Times, you've got The Economist, they're, they're dumping both of those. And, and, and Mike, you know... I think, there, by the way, I think there was an update this morning. I think it's reported that... Uh, the Economist deal went down. It wasn't a full out right, sale, right, right, right. but they sold like a majority right, or right, right, right. their position. Exactly. Yeah. And, and and keep in mind, Pearson also owns forty seven percent stake in Penguin Random House. Right? Is is this you know what, what's what's going on here? Is is it them basically trying to uh, dump their or or at this point move away from their financial business 
you know, publishing brand, it seems like they're selling off all their publishing businesses and maybe they should invest in like a network of taco trucks in New York City. I don't know. Maybe that's a hotter <laughs> business. Uh, I'm, I feel embarrassed to say that I knew they owned the Financial Times. I actually didn't know that they were the owners of The Economist. So stupidly enough, I, I have to admit that. But again, they have about like 50% ownership. Got it. Of The Economist. Got it. Mm-hmm. it. It's, I don't know. I mean, we saw it with Gannett. Um, they're kind of splitting up their – they or did split up their uh, broadcast and publishing businesses. Um, it's tough, especially when you're in the limelight and you're one of those huge flagship publishing companies. Uh, you know, you're under scrutiny and I guess some of these guys kind of want to get out and sell their assets while they think that they're at a, a decent you know, valuation. Yeah, I mean, I think some of their education stuff, they're, they're, that's still very strong. Although I, I would argue, so speaking of Financial Times, by the way, and I think that this is what really interested me is Financial Times was the paywall model from day one. Yep, they're and, like, and, and they're everyone always said, talked about yeah, it. Yeah, and everyone sort of said, oh, it may work, especially in the app world. Will it work? Will it not work? And especially remember when apps first came out, Mike. Financial Times said, we're not going to create an app. Mm-hmm. You literally have to go and bookmark us and, you know, save it down. Yeah, yeah, mobile website. And, and, and that's the way you access us on, on, you know, on all iPhones, for example. We're not going to give Apple the 30% cut. And people are like, this is ludicrous. It's not going to work. And, you know, every other brand, it seems like, went, went a different direction. Here you have a really successful exit. And obviously, they've grown their brand, you know, many fold since. You know, is this then an indicator that maybe brands don't, A, that paywalls work, and B, brands don't have to necessarily share, uh, you know, that 30% and still be successful with with Apple and Google or whoever else by being native on the devices? Or, and my opinion on it is, this is financial times that most people knew about, right? Mm -hmm. Easier to do with a really large brand. This is just something... That it's an anomaly because most brands can't get away with this. It might be the latter. Yeah. When you get, you know, when you have so much brand recognition, it just gives you the flexibility to. You're always going to have a certain percentage of your readers that sort of flock to your products, whether they be native apps or mobile responsive websites. Um, I don't want to take anything away from the Financial Times. They're obviously renowned for uh, you know many good reasons. I think it worked out for Pearson on this one, but right. Yeah. I'm not sure. Yeah, I mean, frankly, Mike, I you know unless it's an app on my phone. I don't think about it. Even Twitter or Facebook, right? It's only when they remind me that they exist with with a push notification or, Mm -hmm. you know, I get that little – one of my – your friends just commented on one of your posts. That's the only time I'm going into those brands. So I feel like it it puts the burden on – essentially, it is bookmarking, right? You're saying having a native app, just – it makes you go and check things more often. I'm much more connected. Yeah, because my time's so limited Mm -hmm. that that I'm only – I'm I see I get drawn in when the brands pull me in. Right. The app is on my device. A when I ha- open up my phone, I see the brand. I'm reminded of it. And two, when they send me a push or something, it pulls me into the brand. Versus, I, I don't I don't have any bookmarks on my phone right. on 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 you know uh, my browser or anything like that. I barely even use my browser. Right. Right. Well, I mean, let's I mean let's continue the app strategy conversation with. Uh, um, there was a post this week by a guy named Andrew Chen. If you're into mobile products, mobile growth, mobile strategy, uh, this guy is pretty amazing. Um, it's his Twitter handle is at Andrew Chen. That's C H E N. He writes some amazing stuff. This week's article was um, all about what Fred Wilson over at Union Square Ventures coins. Uh, he coined the term 
app constellations. I, I love that. I love. I love. It's that. very descriptive, yeah. right? It's a very. Right, right, right. It's a sexier way of saying a term that a lot of us have heard, which is app unbundling. Mm-hmm. The idea is. These apps that are quite – well, the examples I'm going to give are, are definitely quite large platforms where they're trying to take pieces of what their platform does and break it into smaller, more well-defined apps. Um, and I'm going to give you some examples. But the thing is that you know the, the, the title of the article was why app um, constellations are not working because a lot of them in the public eye are not working. Let me give you some examples. Dropbox, um, they launched an app called Carousel which was specifically Dropbox for photos. Foursquare um, launched an app called Swarm, which I think is the old uh, sort of check-in feature on yep. Foursquare. That's what Swarm's yep. all about. Facebook launched Paper. Uh-huh. Uh, well, the- Facebook also launched Messenger. Mm-hmm. And that's and that uh-huh. was actually – so you look at Carousel, Swarm, and Paper. Uh, if you look at the charts of the usage and the downloads, it's abysmal. It started off really hot and now you almost can't even find someone that like uses these apps. Yep. Uh, Facebook Messenger is one of those examples where there are – I don't know the exact number but certainly there has to be in the hundreds of millions of app users for Facebook Messenger. So what's the – so I guess this conversation well, is well, around it, – It's simple. Why? Look, here's the thing. Facebook at some point said – they realize that people message each other, right? That like they send direct, what we would call direct messages, mm-hmm. right? And I can post on your wall or the only way I can send you a direct message is now through Messenger. I don't have a choice. It, it, it gave me a little buffer period where I could still do it in the same app. And to me, that's like a big necessity almost, mm-hmm. you know, like do I, I'm already in Facebook you know, I might as well at this point message this person or do I want to open up like WhatsApp or a totally different right. app, look for the person. And sometimes people I have on Facebook don't overlap with me on, on you know, other, you know, WhatsApp type apps. Right. And, and by the way, I'll tell you something. Me personally, the reason I, uh, I, I continue to use Facebook paper and it's still on my device is because for some reason they, they haven't turned that off yet where I can read both the walls as well as message people from the same app. Interesting. Yeah. So, so, so I continue to use paper because I don't have to now switch between apps to like post on someone's wall and and then go like message them from a different app. I hope no one who works at Facebook's listening because they'll (laughs) probably go shut that off. Um, No, but to to kind of round off this topic, because I do think it's an unbelievably interesting one. It's sort of a hot topic in the mobile industry is unbundling is it is unbundling good or bad? I don't like to well, break well, it down. Let, let, let's talk about publishers for a second. What do we see with publishers? Mike? I'll give you a great example. I'll give you a, a great example, um, which is BuzzFeed, who you know, of course, <laughs> they're known for their web content, which is almost all socially sourced uh, in terms of where their visitors come from. They have a BuzzFeed flagship app. A couple of months ago, they released an app called BuzzFeed News, and that's the definition of unbundling. They basically created this app. That is just about news. You go in there, you set a couple of preferences around topics you like, and it pushes out like breaking news, the news that you should know every day. And I love it. It's it's like the thing I open and the, the top of the app on BuzzFeed News um, is like three things you need to know. Like literally, if you don't want to sound like an idiot today and you want to understand basically what the hot topics are, it gives me that. And I could guarantee you uh, that the audience of that app is much smaller than their BuzzFeed flagship app. But you know where I was headed with with the whole idea of unbundling is: is it good? Is it bad? I don't think you can say it's good or bad. It's just it's about specific strategy, and it, we have to look at well, ROI and the metrics yes. for, su- uh, for success. H- however, I mean, I've always found the unbundling strategy 
for, forget like first of all from a consumer perspective the more apps you're going to tell me to download like from the same brand it, it becomes a tougher argument right like so i want i'd much prefer from a personal sort of consumer perspective one app and give me all your stuff in one app right it's just easier hey i don't care what you have to sell me maybe you have a radio station a, a, a movie channel and a newspaper i'd much rather you give it to me all in one place right because i like your brand right, right? now from a from a brand's perspective or a company perspective you know what surprises me with the unbundling is there isn't much push from one to the other the reason cross, is cross promotional type cross promotional okay. type of stuff right in in other words when i look at a publisher like I use the New York Times app, right? The the New York Times Now app. Mm -hmm. I'm always surprised they're not pushing me for a subscription or pushing me to go download their other app because they also have multiple apps, right? Mm -hmm. and, and and to me, the the brands that work best for me is let's say you know, and I've seen this in in quite a few um, uh, magazine type apps, the ones that are doing it right, where. I download their apps. I see the magazine. I'm not always a subscriber to the magazine, right? So it's a part of the app. I get all their web feed. I get like it's it's almost like a hub for all their content. I'm getting their Twitter feeds, their Pinterest feeds, their video feeds. I'm getting all of this stuff from like YouTube. It's all free, mm -hmm. right? And then they keep me in their brand. They, again, use push notifications to pull me in. They get me to start connecting with their content on a daily basis on mobile and then over time try to convince me in that same app that I should now become a subscriber. Right. You and, know? And to play – so I can't disagree that cross-promotional, trying to get people familiar with all your products, I mean that, that seems like a very good move. The last thing I'll throw out there though is just to play devil's advocate in favor of unbundling – I'm not a BuzzFeed guy. I've never. I probably have looked at a total of four BuzzFeed articles in the past five years. But they came out with this app, and now I'm a new part of their audience. You know, and it might be maybe well, you're not into top ten reasons why uh, cats climb walls. Articles. <laughs> I'm not a big cat person. I'm more of a dog guy. Um, I, I I think. This is the last thing I'll say is that yeah. if you're a publisher and you're in, or just anyone interested interested in apps, I don't think you'll walk away saying, "Oh, I heard unbundling is bad" or "I heard unbundling is good." It's about your specific strategy. If you're gonna have an app that only 600 people are gonna use, mm -hmm. but it's gonna cost you a few thousand bucks to launch it, and maybe it's for a specific event, Forbes does that for their 30 mm -hmm. under 30 conference. Mm -hmm. If that's gonna lead to a great experience and you have a sponsorship uh, sponsorship set up, you know, if you're spending 3k on it and you're making 20 and it wasn't all that much effort and you could have lots of these little products uh, rolling around that are ROI positive, that could work for you as a company. So I think it's more specific than just saying unbundling works or doesn't. It's it's Got all it. contextual. Sure. Uh, another really interesting article was Adweek reported that Harper's Magazine, uh, which has traditionally been, and, I, and I've gone to their brand before, it's always been pretty anti-web, is is loosening their neckties. And, and they just rolled out a metered paywall for non-subscribers. Essentially, it gives them access to one free article a month, right? Mm -hmm. And I would argue... What, what does that really do? Like one free article, I think New York Times gives you 20. I also yeah. like how this is saying, uh, on the article it says, they're loosening their neckties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like as if they yeah. couldn't sound anymore. <laughs> they're giving away one free, they've loosened the necktie and they're giving well, you a free article online. It's like just, it makes them kind of sound a little antiquated. Yeah, I mean, their whole subscription model is like, I think it's $45.99 per, uh, per, per year. Mm -hmm. And I think, again, they're trying to get more subscribers in. And maybe, maybe the idea is you, you see you know, a article posted on LinkedIn and you clicked on it or Facebook or somewhere, you click on it, you end up on their brand, you're able to read it 
where you're not just instantly hit with a paywall, you know, which I think there's some value to that. You know what I mean? It's a right way of thinking. Yeah, it's I feel like they've welcome to the party. It's 2015. Harper's, <laughs> Harper's is now here. Um, hopefully they'll do well with it. I mean, it should. Yeah. In, in, in other words, in the past couple of weeks, we've been talking, Mike, a lot about like paywall mm-hmm. versus non-paywall. A lot of companies experimenting with this. Uh, and it's we're starting to see that more and more. Absolutely. As we should. You know, it's it's tough to convert people if you're not giving them even a taste of what your story is about or what your brand's about. That's right. Uh, New York Times will offer free articles on the Starbucks mobile app. Wow. Um, it seems like – That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, well, let me, let me even elaborate before I give my opinion. I mean basically um, New York Times is going to be publishing some exclusive content to Starbucks loyalty members through the Starbucks app. Um, I think it's – there's two things that sort of stand out to me. One is that New York Times – I mean Facebook instant articles, Snapchat. Uh, actually, I'm not sure if they're on Snapchat. I think they are. But it seems like yeah, every yeah, time yeah. a big company opens up a little – inlet for there to be some content and the new york times is like we're right there which is great they're like early adapters right it could and, and they're innovators it so definitely could it definitely could work out i think what was really interesting or they have a severe case of fomo they have i think they have a lot of fomo <laughs> honestly i think they have someone over there that's like i want to get involved with starbucks i wanted to it, it, it's what i thought was cool is that it actually said that Starbucks members will be able to earn stars, but they'll need to purchase digital and print subscriptions, which could be used to buy food and drinks. So that's a little bit of a different angle. Because when I first started reading it, it's like, okay, New York Times is trying to get people to read some stuff on the Starbucks app, which I don't think people are launching the Starbucks app to do that. I think they're just trying to buy coffee, not read content. But then sort of a step further is if you buy a subscription in the Starbucks app, you're now going to get some free coffee. That I love. If you've listened to this show, I'm a huge proponent of anything that resembles the membership model. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's I, I, that's definitely how I work, and I, I firmly believe that's the way that most consumers work. If I'm thinking about Starbucks versus Dunkin' Donuts, and I don't really care either way, but I'm like, you know what? I, I do like the New York Times if I'm able to buy the subscription and start – drinking Starbucks at a discount, like I would do that. I would get cheaper coffee and a cheaper subscription if you sort of bundle those things together. So I think having, you know, services that you can actually get some sort of discounts coupled with publishing, I think that's pretty awesome. Great. So finally, Mike, I want to talk a little bit about this company that has been in, especially in the technology news for a while. This is somewhat unrelated to publishing. Um, it's a company called Jet.com, uh, which actually got got launched or, or really went went full blown this week. Uh, and if you haven't seen Jet.com, it's and what it is is it's a it's a competitor now to Amazon. The, uh, they've got a hundred and forty million dollars of backing and funding. Mm-hmm. I think Bain Capital is their is their main investor. Uh, you know, it's really interesting because Jet is all about sort of being like the Costco uh, of the internet world. I checked it out, by the way. I, I, you know, I, I order dog food and all sorts of other stuff a lot. I'm an Amazon Prime members, and it, it did turn out, at least in my little experiment over the weekend, that the costs were not, I, I would say, about maybe even close to 15 or 20% cheaper, right? Than, than, I Amazon. Took, than, than Amazon. And, and the to- I was looking at the totals, like I added things to a cart on Amazon Prime. And then over here, and, and you know, we can sit here for a while and, and I can tell you what is different about Jet. Just go check it out. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have a, by the way, really good app as well, uh, very well designed, uh, which I liked. 
I think this is really interesting because, number one, Amazon's been such a big player in this entire market space uh, that, of course, you know, publishers and other brands have had no choice but to sort of give in to whatever the demands are. Mm -hmm. The more competition, the better. I'm also wondering, at some point, uh, do publishers need to be talking to uh, these guys at Jet.com, or is this a good time to talk to them? Or is this only relevant to the bigger publishers? If you're mid-tier, small-tier, yep. is this important to I, start thinking about? I heard about Jet last year. I mean, look, Amazon as a whole, we don't need to get started. They're doing so many different things. They have so many different revenue items. Their stock just went out of control last week with their earnings. They turned a profit for the first time ever. Um, but from this purely retail side, you know, me going on and buying my Q-tips from Amazon versus Jet – I think that it's only a matter of time before there was going to be a serious competitor to Amazon, and I think Jet can do it. When you introduce that much funding, it allows Jet to make sure that the diapers that you're going to buy show for your kids can be 10% cheaper. Like mm -hmm. They could take those swings to get people on board. I'm mean, like, why am I buying my Q-tips on Amazon? It's because, yes, it is cheaper, but I use the one um, the, my fingerprint to check out. I'm getting free shipping with Amazon Prime. Mm -hmm. And we can also talk about how Prime offers you other benefits like video content and all this other stuff. Yeah, music but music and all sorts of stuff. It's yeah. not – I know Walmart – I think Amazon's now officially bigger than Walmart. So you have incumbents like Walmart. You have these new guys like Jet. I, I'm very bullish on Amazon. I own some of their stock. I love them. But they're going to come under competition and it looks like Jet might give them a run for their money. The UIs of their apps and their websites need to be great. The prices need to be great. The shipping and the returns need to be great. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But if they can execute it, I'm sure that they're going to do just fine for themselves. Great. Let's see what happens. Awesome. And um, one little recommendation from me, and we're going to do this from time to time, is you know just give a sort of publishing recommendation. Um, there's a blog called Wait But Why. Unbelievable. You got to go check it out. It's extremely long form. Um, I don't know if anyone uh, heard our uh, our topic on what is code, which was a Bloomberg article that was 30,000 words a few weeks back. They made a big splash. But this guy, Tim Urban, who writes on all these really interesting topics about space and technology and all sorts of stuff, uh, he writes these long articles. There's no advertising on the site. He, you know, It's through That's donations. Cool. Um, the thing that really hooked me, if you want a more specific recommendation, was uh, an article called How Tesla Will Change the World. Unbelievably long. It took me about seven different sessions and about two hours to read it. But I now like understand renewable energy and why Tesla is a big deal. Cool. And it was really cool. So that's my pick of the week is the blog Wait But Why. Great, great. So that wraps it up uh, for to, uh, this week's show. Uh, thank you all uh, to to the listeners for joining us today. Uh, this is a weekly podcast, so please, number one, be be sure to subscribe. Please do tell your friends, especially friends in publishing, if you thought this was a good podcast, uh, have them listen to it. Write a review for our podcast if you liked it. To see all the links that we we covered during this uh, during this podcast, please be sure to visit our Facebook page by searching Pub Tech Nation on Facebook, or follow us, or I should say, and follow us on Twitter. Uh, we're at Pub Tech Nation. Also, if you want to recommend some topics for us to cover on the show, I know Mike and I love love hearing about it. Uh, please drop us a note at pubtechnation at gmail.com. 
And I also want to thank our sponsor for this week, uh, which is Lynx, L-Y-N-X. If you have an iPhone or an iPad, you got to download their app, L-Y-N-X. It's a free app, right? It's right? a free app. It's the best way to share, to save, to even discover content. It's got chock fulls of great articles. The interface is beautiful. They actually just introduced topics so you can sort by what you like. Uh, so if you're sharing something with a friend, if you're looking for a good story to read, or if you're trying to save something to read later, um, all or any of the above, you'll love this app, Lynx, L-Y-N-X. We want to thank those guys also. Absolutely. Thank you, Lynx. Please, uh, listeners, go down, download and check out Lynx. We'll see you all next week. Thank you. Have a great week. Enjoy Thanks, your, Mike. Enjoy your week. Enjoy your week.